My name is Juan Vasquez, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at OMPC. Uh, if you are new this morning or visiting us for the first time, let me add my welcome. We're glad that you are here to worship with us. Uh, well, today we continue in our One Another Sermon series, and my assignment is to speak on the biblical command to serve one another, to serve one another. That's a, a fitting topic for me as, as my role here at OMPC is about mobilization, uh, so before we, we jump into our text, let me just provide a quick update on the mobilization ministry. Just want to share a little bit about where we've been and where we're heading into the fall. Uh, so as most of you guys know, back in, in January, the last Sunday of January to be precise, we, we launched a mobilization assessment website. And since then, uh, we have uh, close to 600 accounts that were created, uh, and over 300 of you have completed all three assessments. I've also been uh, meeting with a lot of you one-on-one, -on -one, or uh, as, as I've been told, Juan-on-Juan, -on -Juan by, by some of you. Uh, and I've met with 170 of our members, uh, so that's, that's been really encouraging for me, so thank you for your participation. Uh, but also now, uh, as we move into the fall, we're going to be providing a mobilization class during our ADC hour. Uh, and that class is, is meant to provide further uh, biblical grounding or theological grounding to the ways that we think about mobilization. Uh, and we also want to provide a more systematic and, and feasible approach to our mobilization efforts. So keep your eyes open as we move into the fall. And, and I pray and hope that uh, you or, or your, whole, your whole life group can, can go through this class with us uh, as we continue to engage every neighbor with the surprising power of, of grace. Well, with that in mind, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. And as you make your way there, let me just provide some context for you. Uh, in chapters 1 through 4, the, the Apostle Paul has provided his biblical and, and theological argument against false teachers. These are, are teachers that uh, are insistent that alongside faith, believers are required, are obligated to keep the law, particularly circumcision, in order to have a great standing before God. And, and Paul will have none of that. And so having argued for justification by faith alone in chapters 1 through 4, here in chapter 5, Paul moves into the practical implications of the gospel, for the Apostle Paul, faith and practice belong together, right? They go hand in hand. They are married to each other. To, to separate our conceptual theology from our practical theology, Paul says, is to be an unhealthy Christian at best, and at worst, is to not be a Christian at all. And so here Paul moves to, to, to the practical implications of the gospel so that's a little bit of the context here as we move into Galatians chapter 5. So if you're able to stand with me, um, let me invite you to stand with me and let's look at Galatians chapter 5. 
beginning at verse 13. We'll read 13 through 15, and then we'll drop down to verse 19 through 24. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Listen carefully. These are God's words. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, sorry, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's pray with Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is perfect, Lord, and and it revives the soul. It is pure, and it enlightens our hearts, Lord. Father, we ask that as we come to your word, Lord, that you would point us to Christ and that you would give us Christ. Father, that the things that we lack, you would give us, and that the things that we are not, Lord, that you would shape us and make us by the power of your Spirit through your Word. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The main focus of my sermon will be verse 13. And as you look at verse 13, uh, notice that the focus of this verse is, is Paul's commands to the Galatians to serve one another. To serve one another. There, there, there's at one level a, a sense in which this command is very straightforward, right? Serve one another. That's, that's not hard to understand. A, a child can understand this command, serve one another. And you can do that through, through many different ways, right? You can take a meal to someone. You, you, you can teach a class. You, you can help around the house. You can take out the garbage. On and on and on. Serve one another. There, there's no mystery here. The, the biblical command is clear and simple. Serve one another. But on another level... The biblical command to serve one another is difficult. In fact, we can even say that it is unnatural. Right? Because of sin, none of us can claim some pure or natural disposition to serve one another. In fact, do you remember back in Mark chapter 10 what James and his brother John requested of Jesus? Mark 10, 35, 
And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, just, just picture this, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like, talk about a setup, right? Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. These men are self-absorbed. But, but the weakness displayed by James and John is a weakness that we are all familiar with. Right? Ever since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, the, the human heart has been consumed with a, a sinful preoccupation with self. Give me what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. Thank you very much. We are not naturally taken up with devotion to serve one another. In fact, all of us know the failure of serving even those closest to us. Right? I, I, I often find myself struggling to even serve my wife. The, the one that I promised that I would love and serve in, seek, in sickness and in health till death do us part. Let me, just confession time, let me show you what this looks like for me, right? There's been moments in our house where my wife graciously has cooked dinner and has served the table and we have dinner and have a conversation. And then we put the dishes away or sometimes she will put the dishes away as well. And then I sit down at the couch and I just find that right spot in the couch, right? Just the right spot and then pick up my book that I'm so eager to read or, or turn on the TV to watch my favorite show, only to hear my sweet wife say, hey babe, can you do me a favor? Can you, can you rub my back? Can you, get me, can you please get me a glass of water? Like everything in me feels like she's asking me for the impossible at this moment, <laughs> right? Now, 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 I venture to say that, none, that, that I'm not alone in this experience, right? We all struggle to serve those closest to us. And yet the Bible is relentless in its command for us to serve not just those who we love, but to serve the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the stranger, even our enemies, to serve those who cannot repay us. The Bible is resolute and is calling us to reflect Christ who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. That's that's a pretty high standard. We we can say almost an impossible standard left to ourselves. What's natural to us is is what Paul says in verse 19 here in in Galatians chapter 5, impurity, strife, division, Idolatry, anger, envy, these are the natural works of our flesh, not, not service. Well, if I, if I manage to make you feel guilty or, or to feel the, the uh, almost agonizing weight of this command, well, Galatians 5 is for you. Right? Here, here, not only do we find a difficult command, serve one another, but we have here the power that enables us to serve one another. 
Here in, in Galatians chapter 5, we find a believer struggling to see beyond themselves, right? This is a community riddled with envy and jealousy and division and sexual immorality. In fact, Paul tells us in verse 15, he warns the, the, these believers that if they continue to bite and devour one another, they will be consumed by one another. So what's the remedy? Right? What, what's the remedy to this sinful self-regard? Well, according to, to the Apostle Paul, the remedy is nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so here, as we, as we think about verse 13 for the next few minutes, I want us to ask ourselves this question. How does God transform us into a community that serves one another rather than serving ourselves? How does God transform us into a community that serves one another rather than, than serving ourselves? Here in our text, we see that Paul, uh, he's showing us that God transforms us into this kind of community by first here, if you're taking notes, first point, by, by securing our freedom, two, by redefining our freedom, and three, by empowering the actions of our freedom. By securing our freedom, by redefining our freedom, by empowering the actions of our freedom. Let's, let's look at each of these one at a time. So, so God enables us to serve one another instead of serving ourselves by first securing our freedom. Take, take a look at verse 13 with me. Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. Here Paul summarizes the argument of this whole letter. Right? According to Paul, those who embrace the gospel of Christ are children of Abraham. They're children according to the promise and therefore children of freedom. But, but what sort of freedom well, within the context of this letter, Paul argues that through faith, believers are free from the penalty of the law. Therefore, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that the penalty of the law no longer hovers over you like a sword that's ready to strike. But not just that, according to Paul, Faith, but through, through faith, believers are also freed from the power of sin. From the power of sin. If you are in Christ, sin no longer is your master. You are a member of God's redeemed community, a community that Paul says is characterized by freedom. Now, the question is how is this freedom obtained? Well, here in verse 13, Paul says that you were called, you were called to freedom. That, that's, that's a very important word. I, I hope you love this word. This is a very important word. In fact, the, the whole letter, the whole purpose of this letter is to reason with the Galatians to return to the one who has called them into this freedom. Take, take a look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 with me for a second. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Here, here with, with tremendous force, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
He's, he's astonished that they are deserting, not, not theological principles, not, not theological arguments. They're deserting him. This, this is a crisis, right? And we don't have time to go into the details of this verse. But here Paul makes clear that the voice that stands behind their calling is the voice of the Father. The Galatians are called, they are summoned to freedom by none other than God the Father. And that's not all. Verse 6 tells us that this freedom was secured not on the basis of their righteousness, It was not on the basis of their goodness, but on the basis of God's grace displayed for them in the work of Christ. They were called in the grace of Christ. That's a fundamental or the fundamental doctrine of our faith, right? The gospel is the good news that God delivers us from sin through the death and resurrection of Christ. One way to summarize, this, to, to summarize this is that what God the Father graciously ordained in his call, God the Son graciously obtained through his death and resurrection. What, 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 the, Father or, uh, what the Father ordained, the Son graciously obtained. You are free. What, what, one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. I'm sure that many of you know the movie. Uh, the, the movie is about the, the legendary William Wallace, right, who, who led the Scots into battle against the mighty English army. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert here, uh, if you haven't seen it, shame on you, but uh, if, if, you, if you've seen the movie, you know that William Wallace is, cap- is betrayed, he, he's captured, and he's executed, right? The, the English king wanted to send a message to the rest of the Scots. Anyone who, doesn't ref, uh, uh, anyone who doesn't submit to the king or refuses to submit to the king will be executed. But, but the execution of this man didn't have his intended effect. Right? While the English wanted to instill fear, his death, this man's death, injected the Scots with a sense of courage, with a personal sense of freedom that drove them to fight and eventually defeat the English army. Well, that's, that's sort of the picture of what Paul is doing here, right? This is what he wants to accomplish. But Paul is determined to point to the death of Christ, to, to this call, to, to the way that this, call, that this freedom came about, and he wants to equip them with the emancipating power of Christ's death, a, a death that delivers them from the chains of selfishness. Paul says, you are free from the power of sin, free from the power of selfishness. And, and just consider for a moment how this freedom was obtained by Christ. As the Lord of hosts, as the King of kings, he secured our freedom not in power, but in weakness. Not, not by elevating himself, right? But by humiliating, right? By, by coming down, by, by taking a lowly place and taking the form of a servant, He conquered not by picking up a sword, 
but picking up the cross. Paul says, you were called to freedom. Therefore, don't live enslaved to selfishness. You are free. Now, here's just a point of application. As we consider the manner in which Christ secured our freedom, the question for all of us here is, do our lives reflect Christ? Do our actions embody the words of our Savior who says, I came not to be served, but to serve. Well, brothers and sisters, the call to follow Christ is a call to live for more than ourselves. It is a call to follow him in the path of humble service to one another. So again, how does, how does God transform us into a community that serves one another? Well, first, he secures our freedom, right? Sin is no longer our master and condemnation is no longer our destiny. We are free, free to serve one another. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you, you, you know that sin is still present in our lives, right, and in this world. E- even though our flesh, Paul says in 524, our flesh has been, th- those who belong to Christ have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Though that is true, We also know that sin has not yet been completely eradicated. We we, we live in the already and not yet completion of our redemption. And therefore, sin remains a threat to our freedom. And it is a threat that expresses itself in a distortion of freedom. In a distortion of freedom. Therefore, God transforms us, second point, God transforms us into a community that serves one another by redefining our freedom, by redefining our freedom. Again, take a look at verse 13 with me. But Paul says in the middle of the verse, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the, fle- uh, for the flesh. But Paul clarifies what Christian liberty is not, right? Unlike our Western understanding of freedom, a freedom, a freedom, Christian liberty is not a freedom of unfeathered choice. It's not unrestrained attitudes or unbridled behaviors. In his commentary, Douglas Moo says, Whatever freedom is emphatically not, either here or anywhere else in the Bible, is autonomy. Free to do and be whatever we want. In other words, Christian liberty has boundaries. It it is not about self-indulgence, right? God is redefining our understanding of freedom by teaching us that freedom does not mean license to sin. On a, on a horizontal level, Christian liberty is about loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. It is about a freedom that sees others not as the, the means to our desires, but as the object of our service. 
Again, we, we, we can look at Christ, right? He, he, he was the freest man that ever lived. And, and I just love this moment in, in, in the gospel when, when Jesus says, you don't take my life away from me. I lay it down of my own accord. In his freedom, what did he do? He served. John Stott says in his commentary, God's people are free from sin, but not free to sin. Free from sin, but not free to sin. And when we act otherwise, we destroy, we destroy the credibility of our witness and also undermine the flourishing of our community. Most of you guys know that in 1972, well, maybe not most, uh, 1972, there was a break-in into the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Right? This is known as the Watergate scandal. The break-in led to, to an investigation that revealed multiple abuses by the then President, uh, uh, President Nixon. Uh, he, he, he used his position of power for his own interest, right? And eventually the truth surfaced and he was forced to resign. He, he destroyed his credibility and his ability to stay in office. Well, well, that's precisely what Paul is warning this Galatians about here. Paul, Paul tells the Galatians, do not use your position of freedom as a platform for selfish desires, but as a platform to serve others. Right? He's redefining their understanding of freedom. They're called, they're called to freedom. They're free. But they are free to serve. Well, as we noted at the beginning here of our sermon here, we noted that we are not naturally devoted. We're not naturally taken up with, with devotion to serve others. Because of remaining sin in our lives, we all tend to be inwardly focused rather than outwardly focused. And so third point, Paul says here, Paul teaches us that God not only secures our freedom, redefines our freedom, but he also empowers the actions of our freedom. The actions of our freedom. Take a look at the last part of verse 13 here with me, or I'll read the whole text. Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But through love serve one another. Two, two things to notice here. First, notice that love, as the ethical obligation in this verse, finds expression, love finds expression in serving others. Love, by its very nature, is outward focus, not inward. Right? I'm reminded of what Paul says in the book of Corinthians when he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not insist on his own way. That's, that's the first thing I want you to see, that love does not look inwardly, but looks outwardly. The second thing that I want you to notice here is that word, through. Paul says, through love serve one another. In, in, in his commentary, Richard Loneckard explains that the preposition through serves to identify love as the conditioning 
cause of Christian service. This preposition serves to identify love as the conditioning cause of Christian service. In other words, love is not primarily a means through which we serve. Like, love is not just a tool. Like, like when you're building a fence and you need the hammer of love to, 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 to build this fence, love is not just a tool. Love is not just instrumental. Love is the very thing that makes the action possible. It is the essential element that enables us to serve one another. Another way that we can translate this verse is, on account of love, serve one another. Now, where does that kind of love come from? Well, Paul, Paul here points upward. He, he tells believers here that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of love in their lives. Early when we read chapter, uh, parts of chapter 5, we, we saw that Paul here compares the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. On the one hand, the works of the flesh are characterized by selfishness, by, by sexual immorality, enmity, jealousy, anger, division. However, in the gospel, the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of harvest in our lives. Galatians 5.22, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. You see, in the gospel, what God demands of us, God provides for us. And in this case, God produces in us. As we live in communion with the Holy Spirit, we, uh, uh, he, he works in our lives to produce the very love that Christ has for us. And, and in doing so, the Holy Spirit empowers us or enables us to serve as Christ served. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel, right? We are not left to our own power to fulfill the commands of Christ. This, this is why Paul can say in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, brothers and sisters, in all these ways, in all these ways, God transforms us into a community that serves one another. He, he secures our freedom he redefines our freedom and he empowers the actions of our freedom. May, may, may the Lord continue to work in our lives so that we can continue to serve one another in love. Well, this morning, we don't have a better illustration of what serving one another looks like than the Lord's table. Th through these natural elements of bread and the fruit of the vine, we, we have a tangible picture of, of the ways that Christ himself loved his people and served his people. Right? Here, here as Christ is calling us to serve one another, he, he means to empower us not only by pointing us to himself, but by giving us of himself. There, there's no magic in any of these elements here that, that's before us, but, but 
through them, God promises that as we participate, as we have fellowship with him, as we celebrate and commemorate this event, he promises that the Spirit will work in our lives to produce the very fruit of love so that we may serve one another. Well, as we get ready to participate in, in, uh, in the Lord's table, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the realities that you called us into freedom through the death of your son, graciously, Lord, not on the basis of our goodness or righteousness, Lord, but in love, you gave yourself for us. Father, we pray that as we participate in the Lord's table, that you would work in our lives, Lord, that your spirit would be poured out in our hearts to create the fruit of love in our lives, Lord, and that we will be a people that would serve one another. Lord, all these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.